Hey, welcome to another episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667 or visit their website www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 34. This week we we'll catch up with Graham Young. He's from up in Queensland and he's got a really nice 48 Dodge pilot house that he's uh, just done a full resto remod build on and it's come up really nice. So been seeing it on Facebook quite a bit on one of the Dodge pages and I was really impressed with it and got in touch. So really good to have a chat to Graham today. And, uh, you know, it's it's Sunday, it's Bathurst weekend. And uh, I, I normally watch a bit of Bathurst. I, I don't sit and watch the whole race. I'm not, not fully uh, engrossed in it, but... Uh, check it out from time to time so uh, it was good to Graham to have a chat to us and uh, I, I'm down in Victoria and uh, sort of forgot about daylight savings and I rang him about an hour early and he was having his lunch so finally got hold of him and uh, we sat down and, and had a good chat so it was good to see that and, and it gave me a bit of time to get back out in the workshop and, and do a bit more welding on my rear guards on my truck so I'm, I'm sort of widening them at the moment I've got to add about 185 mil of width to, uh, to get over my Julie's and uh, hoping it doesn't just look like the big booty back end. I'm hoping it kind of fits in a little bit. I've widened the bed as well to try and, and just take a little bit of that out. So a little bit of a custom rear bed. I'm going to have to build my own custom tailgate and make the whole thing work as best as possible. So that's kind of an update on my truck. I, I'm doing that. I'm about to cut the, the whole floor out and replace that because it's just a lot easier than, than patching up what's already there. And I've got to put new mounts and seatbelt mounts and things for the seats. So it's going to be the easiest way to go. And uh, by the sounds of it, it would be good to have Graham down here to give me a hand because he uh, he loves his metalwork and he's, he's got right into that. But uh, it was uh, it was great to chat to him. And, and yeah, really nice truck. Have a look at the uh, the photos. Have a bit of a follow of his Instagram. And I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Graham, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, Definitely seen some cool photos of your pickup and, and been keen to get you on board and I appreciate you taking the time out on a day when most automotive guys are glued to a TV watching the Bathurst 1000. Yeah, hi, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that's anything to do with classic cars is always an interest to me, so um, it's uh, thanks for the opportunity. No, that's great. Um, so first question, mate, is, you know, we always start this way, but what what are your first first memories of automotive as you know as a young kid? What what sort of sparked the interest? I suppose did that happen early, or was that something that happened a bit later for you? Well, yeah, my life has, has has been in some interesting circles. I suppose my I originally done my time as a mechanic in a little country town in Victoria, and done the apprenticeship there for three and a half years, and then. My boss used to love playing golf, so I used to run the business. I didn't know that then. I was only just 18. And he used to play golf, and I used to run this business, sort of tried to, I suppose. Uh, And then when I was 18 and a half, the office lady said, you should buy this business. You're already running it. So I thought, well, that sounds like an interesting idea. So I went along with the bank manager, full of enthusiasm, you can imagine the reaction I got as an 18-year-old where the bank manager at that time was, you know, the, the main man of the town. Mm. So the response I got was, come back with your parents. That was as far as I got. Yep. So then I had to go, go home and work on my parents to convince them that it was a really good idea and they should come in with me and buy this business. So to mum and dad's credit, they listened to me and uh, decided that, well, 
I suppose youthful zeal shouldn't be stomped on, so they became reluctant partners in a, in a very small garage with the smallest Toyota dealer in, a, in Victoria, uh, and I became the youngest Toyota dealer in Australia at that time at 18 and a half. And because I hadn't finished my apprenticeship, the apprenticeship board decided that I couldn't be apprenticed to myself, so they signed me off early. So whether I, let, whether I ever got the, the final lot of schools or not, one never knows. But to, prior to that, I had, before I even was at school, my first car was a 1924, I kind of say, yeah, Chef, 1924 Chef. And I bought it out of a paddock behind a wrecking yard with a whole line of old cars. Uh, I'm forgetting what I paid for it. Didn't go. Took it home. Managed to get it going. Drove it around and had great aspirations of restoring it. But, of course, it was long since beyond that. But we did get it driving and drove it around. And eventually I sold that to someone else that probably had more money and abilities. And I think I was 15 at the time. And then in the, in the period of time when I was doing my apprenticeship, I was buying and selling cars and I don't know how many, I think I had 20 cars by the time I was 20 or something. And then my first foray into, into modified cars was probably when I was about, oh, I'd say 19 or 20, while I had this business. I'd, there was a 19... I'm thinking, I think it was a 35 Plymouth four-door sedan come up for sale. I went and had a look at it, and it was in very good order. Anyway, I forget now what I paid for it, but I took it home and took it to the shop. didn't take me too long to get it going. Put the tray plates on it and drove it around. Well, I very quickly become underwhelmed with its drivability. Yeah. So I decided I'd build a hot rod out of it. So in between trying to run a business and do everything else, um, I started on this project. So it ended up I'd, we had a, a RAC tow truck breakdown business associated with that, and I towed in a Rambler Rebel that was written off and it, I think they had a 289 V8, four-barrel V8. Mm -hmm. So that became the donor car for the Plymouth, which was a bit of an unusual transplant, but, hey, you know, you use what you got. Um, so we had a the V8 in auto, and we put the, the Rambler back end in it, which was limited slip. And then in the midst of all that, as you know, when you're young and... I think, I think around that time I got married and I decided that at some point I decided to sell that business, which I did when I was 25, I think. And I shifted to Perth. So my brother-in-law, who at the time was probably only 13 or 14, said he wanted to buy it off me. So he took over the reins of the Plymouth and I went, we shifted to Perth. And every time I came back, I got roped into work on it. So we steel framed the body out. And to his credit, he finished it and it was driving around in Victoria for a number of years. He's, that's a long time ago. I don't know where it is now. I was going to say, it'd be a, a pretty rare sort of car with that transplant in it. Yeah, yeah. And it was black. And I, I remember I bought a set of, I've got a bit of a thing for chrome wire wheels. So it had chrome white spoke, true spoke wheels on it. It looked a pretty cool looking rig. He had it all painted out. It looked really good in the end. And yeah, an unusual combination, but I think um, it done its job at the day anyway. Yeah, nice, nice. So that was the last. That was the last car I owned. And after having worked in the car industry for, by that time nine years, I'd had enough of the car industry, and I went off and done other things, and eventually become a builder and be, had a building business for for twenty odd years, and then got like a lot of things, decided it was time to retire and probably retired too early. Um, and anyway, so I went back working and ended up working underground 
building road road and rail tunnels, tunnels in the TBM machinery and associated civil works. And that was the last of my working life. And I got to the point where I, I was very much over that too. So when I moved to Toowoomba, I decided that I probably needed a new hobby. So I went to the Toowoomba swap meet, I forget now, about five years ago, deciding I was going to buy myself a project. Well, I walked around and was pretty disappointed with the amount of massive rust, rusted out projects that were there. And I walked around the corner on my way out and here was this 1948 Dodge, a couple of old blokes loading bits and pieces into the back of it and it was sitting there idling. I looked around and I thought, yeah, that's a pretty tidy old bit of gear. And I said to him, have you you've just bought it? And he said, no, no, no. He said, this guy's just loaned it to us to take our gear out of the Toowoomba swap meet. So that was my introduce, introduction to the Dodge. So ultimately, we done a deal and I bought the Dodge and brought it home. So did you did you buy the Dodge before your Buick? Uh, correct. My, that was the, the Dodge was first. So I set out and I thought, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do with this car, but it was such a nice-looking old truck. I bought it, so I went through it mechanically. So I restored all the brakes and mechanics so it was drivable and registered as a drivable original truck. And it was a bit of fun and I enjoyed it and it was a bit different. Not everyone's got one of these. But I have to say, again, I was very underwhelmed with its uh, drivability, shall we say. That would have just had a little straight six in it, did it? Straight, yeah, straight six and three on the floor. Yeah. Manual crash gearbox. Um, brakes that, even then, they were all brand new. You had to anticipate everyone in front of you and stand on the brakes even in case you didn't need them. Um, so it, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was what it was, a 1948 technology driving truck. So in the midst after that sat in the shed and I had it registered and I drove it every now and again, I come across a 1955 Buick Century hardtop for sale in America, in Phoenix, Arizona. <clears throat> and... I looked at that and I thought, I've been looking for, a, I've been thinking about a Tri-5 Chevy, yep. but sort of the price that Tri-5s bring, um, I really didn't want to spend that much money. Um, and there's a bit of fun in this business. This is something I enjoy building something and without using checkbook engineering, is what I call it. So Buick was... We'd done a deal, I had a guy in America drive up and have a look at it through a local business here in Toowoomba, MWUSA Imports, their representative, went up there, had a look at it, picked it up and brought it back and three months later it arrived here. Well, I knew it had some problems. I wasn't, I didn't, definitely didn't buy it with rose-coloured glasses. But you could see the road through the floor and if you opened the boot, you could see the road, so there's plenty of road view. <laughs> but... It was in exceptional condition uh, in that everything was there. And when I went to, it was partly pulled to bits when I bought it. It did drive just. Um, so I then said I had to build floors for it. I'd never, even though I had a mechanical background, I'd never done any body work. Yep. So I built floors for it and bought gear to build that. And I discovered I, I really enjoyed the bodywork side of it. So that the, the Buick end turned into a resto mod. It it looks original, but it it has some upgrades. Obviously, disc brake, power brakes. So the thing drives and well, it definitely stops a lot better than it did in 1955. Still runs the original 322 Nailhead V8, which has a unique sound that I, I'd sort of loathe to ever lose, even though the thought of a, the power of an LS would be quite attractive. 
and it runs a 700R4 transmission. And believe it or not, a Mazda BT50 four-wheel drive if because they, Buick in their wisdom, built these cars to compete with Cadillac and they had a, a torque tube enclosed drive gearbox if arrangement. So you can't easily swap out a gearbox because you've got a torque tube to deal with. So you've got to turn them into an open drive. Mm. So everyone uses uh, Ford 9-inch diffs, but of course you, we know what you have to pay for one of those. Um, so I went around the wrecking yards and found by measuring that the Mazda, the earlier Mazda BT-50 four-wheel drive this were the perfect width. They had big hubs. They had, when you pull on a bit, they run Dana gears in them. Um, they've got drum brakes, so it looks like it's original. Perfect width, and we re-drilled the studs back to Buick 5x5. Cost me the grand sum of $350 for a, a, a perfect condition rear end. So you don't buy much of a 9-inch for one of those, for that sort of money. No. And are they an 8.8? Is that what they are? Uh no, they'd be heavier than that. Yeah. I know. I was I was very impressed and pulled a bit how heavy everything was inside them. They're really just they're just a Japanese version of pretty much. Uh, but I couldn't tell you how it actually competes exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty solid uh, rear end to have in in uh, two wheel drive. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's solid and yeah. So you're never going to damage them based on you know what four wheel drive pull them. All the rest. It was the perfect ratio, so I ended up with going. The Buicks used to run a one-speed transmission. They were called a Dyna uh, Flow, and they were nicknamed from the factory Dyna Leak for the obvious reason that you knew, always knew when you needed to top them up was when leaking. you had no more oil drips on the floor, and that's exactly how they were. Didn't matter what you done, you could never stop the leaks from coming. So that was the hence of the side to do a conversion, which involved a conversion kit from America. And but then, because they have coil back end and they had the torque tube that handle all the the braking acceleration forces, I came. I built what I called Buick torque arm rear suspension, which transferred the load back into the cross frame of the Buick chassis, the same as what the original Buick designers designed it for rather than putting a pool link in it. Drives magnificent. It's a lovely highway car and you know at hundred Ks it's it's doing two thousand and a few odd revs just ticking over. Mm. Where before it was running about twenty six hundred. And I've got now I've got four gears and I've got a lock up converter so I've really nearly got five gears. Big change for the Buick. Was it painted or have you done all that work yourself? No, no, it was not painted. So I built a spray booth in my shed and I set out after I built a book. So in that Buick, I put all new floors, all new boot floors through it, all new sills, um, built all those panels because you can't buy any panels for those cars. Mm. Unfortunately... Not a cry five, so you can't buy anything. But out of that, people discovered that I could make panels, so I end up build panels for other people and bits and pieces. Uh, I've now got a shed full of metal working tools, but anyway, <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, I know that problem. You can't have too many tools. <laughs> Did you consider it all um, switching over to right hand drive, or you, or you always wanted to keep it as a left hooker? I mean, you're going to all that bodywork effort, it, it probably wouldn't have been too hard to, to do that or you just didn't want to know about it? Well, I really honestly never considered it because in my opinion, it's part of the character of the car to be left-hand drive and it's no no problem to drive in left-hand drive. I get in it. The, the only problem I had between the two cars, I sometimes get mistaken which side, which door to get into <laughs> yeah. to drive them. Um, honestly, it, I think for the effort, the end result not enough to justify the effort. Yeah. And because they had a metal dash, it would, look, it could have been done for sure, but it would, would have required a lot of work 
and most people would have looked at it and thought, hmm, it's just a right-hand drive, you know. Um, it's sort of more interesting when you do something and people actually can see the work and effort involved in it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was never really, it never come up in my mind as to convert it over. Mm, no, they're good. And, I mean, they're really nice because they're a pillarless body because they were quite popular as a convertible as well, weren't they? Well, they made very limited. And the convertible ones of them would bring over, they bring over like 100,000 US in a convertible. They very few, few sold back in the day, so there's even less surviving. So, yeah, look, it's... They're a pretty rare car even in Australia still. For every Tri-5 Chevy, there's probably, you'd have to have 100 Chevys to one Buick. Yeah. But I call it I call it a, a Tri-5 with more bling and more power, but of course that doesn't compete with the boys with 454s and the like in it. So yeah, I painted in my shed here, um, uh, base over, clear over base. Um, and it, yeah, and I discovered I quite like doing car body work and paint work. Um, not that I'd do it for anyone else, but I enjoyed it for myself. Yeah, that's come up beautiful. So even to the point where I, yeah, I took it down to PPG here in town because they'd supported me in the, the paint process. And they had a look at it and they said, I can tell you now that there's panel beaters in this town that wouldn't have got it that good. So I was pretty happy with that comment. Mm. So yeah, it is. It look, it's as good as what it looked in the photos. Yeah, it's got your trademark wire spoke wheels on. It has. Yeah, we will, they were an option back in the day. The convertibles came out standard. They were called a Skylark, and they came out with uh, wire wheels. So I went hunting, and I come across these from Australian Wire Wheel Company. And what happened? They had ordered a set of these wheels. And someone had ordered them in five by five stud pattern, which, as you know, is not the most common. And when I rang him and he said, "Look, these have just been on the display board, and we go around to the car shows, and they've never been on a car, so I got them at a good price because they weren't something they could easily sell." Yeah. And I ordered a set of new Buick um, Center caps that went in the factory. They're red with Buick silver Buick in them. Got them and machined them down, and and they fit perfectly in the middle of the, of because you said there's no caps, no nuts with these wheels. So unless you really knew your Buick stuff, you'd look at them and say they're they're factory wheels, which they're not. But with the centre cap and everything that just matches the Buick, um, they look like factory. So again, it's just a bit of trickery, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's it's come up real nice. So you got that built. You you've got your Dodge sitting in the in the shed, and was that just a, a natural thing? All right, I'm I'm loving doing this. So what happened after that was after the company I bought that bought the Buick in for me, when he seen what I'd done to the Buick, he said to me, he said, "Would you be interested in coming to work for us a couple of days a week?" My response was, I've been waiting two years for you to ask me that <laughs> yeah. because, you know, I discovered a passion for this stuff. So I started working a couple of days a week for them and in the midst of doing that, we, you know, ran into, you know, four-link conversions, front-end conversions and because I suppose my mechanical background and I've sort of got a bit of an engineering brain, it's been quite handy to, you know, it's been something that I can use and I feel like I'm not working. I'm going just. I'm just doing a hobby, which I get paid for. So after that, then I started to look at the Dodge, and my wife said to me, "You're going to sell the Dodge?" I said, "No, no, I'm not going to sell. I'm thinking, I think I might hot rod it." And I felt that I needed. Oh, I didn't need. That's not the right word. Probably do need it. <laughs> uh, I needed a balance to the Buick. Buick's all smooth and. I call it smooth. That's the, my nickname for the Buick, smooth. And, of course, the pickup is rough. So I've got the two ends of the scale. Yep. So I wanted to wanted to build it a bit like it could have been hot-rodded back in its day. Um, well, that was the original intent, and, of course, all things. And then I decided that really, because I like modifying things, I really would like, I really want to do an air ride or slam 
So it started out as something that was just going to be a V8 with a set of tri-power carbies on it and, a, and not much more to where it is today. Um, and because I just found that, you know, hot rodding's evolutionary, you just keep, people say you finished your truck. I said it'll never be finished because you find other things you want to do and you see something else that someone else has done and you go, oh, that's a good idea. I'll do my version of that. Mm. So then, yeah, so then I set out to build the Dodge as a hot rod, fully slammed truck, uh, which it involves a lot more work, as you well know, than just modifying a, a hot rod. Yeah, and, and looking at what you've done, I mean, you've got it on the original chassis. Was that... Was that? Did you stop and think about, you know, maybe using a different chassis, or were you, were you always planning to use the original chassis? Because I'm a big component of that because I think it saves you so many issues with all the ADRs and things like that. But so you got an original chassis, and, and you've just done a, a rear notch and, and set up a four link. Was, was that always your plan? Um, yes, because in the midst of my work, I've seen and had and worked on rebodied cars, and I. I, I admit that holding chassis versions are probably in some ways easier to, easier path, but I think the end result is nowhere near as good in that it's very difficult to get a holding body, a holding you know, chassis pickup of any sort down low enough on a holding chassis. They're just not set up that you can get them. Low. So the fact that this this truck was registered, I pulled it to bits while it was still registered, and talking to the engineers, it, it, it was an easier path to go uh, and keep the, the intent of the original chassis. And the other thing about it was I really wanted to do this truck to keep it as much as possible Dodge or the lights. Yeah. So it was really a case of let's use the best bits of it and discard the rest, which really amounted to really only the two chassis rails in it, and only then only parts of them. But you know, we kept the spirit of the Dodge there. Yeah, no, it's well, yeah, it lays beautifully. It's it's a it's a really nice setup. So you got the Mitsubishi L three hundred front end, and uh, that's something I've looked at quite a few times because I I know it's become a popular uh, swap, you know, as opposed to using a Jag. So what what was your experience with that and? And, you know, why did you decide to go down that alley? Well, because it, the Jag is, a, I mean, just to back up there a bit, I, back in my youth, I'd had five or six Jags. So I was sort of familiar with the Jag setups. Um, and they are a heavy front end, uh, big cross member in the front. So that in my opinion, if you want to get, and I looked at to get this down low, I had to be creative and the Jag front end really didn't work. The L300 gave me a couple of instant things. It was the right width, it was the right stud pattern because uh, it A matched what the original Dodge ones, which, but it also matched the Fairlane limited slip that I've got in the back of it. So I've got the same stud pattern front to back and I've got the right track width. So that, that was sort of two of the major boxes. The issue became, of course, putting the air ride into small pocket front ends is always difficult. Mm. Um, uh, and yes, possibly a Jag may have been easy to put airbags into it, but hey, there's nothing like a challenge to make you come up with the answer, is there? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the back end is interesting that Again, I decided that it's easy to buy a kit, and I looked at the kits, and you know they were right, but it just sort of looks a bit like everyone else's Ford Link kit that I bought from wherever. So I went again, went walked around the wrecking yards, and found that the rear control arms out of a Toyota Camry, they look a very classy looking Ford Link. So, you know, for the grand sum total of, I think, $80, I had a full set of adjustable upper and lower full-link arms with beautiful bushes and everything. 
not designed for high horsepower outputs, but perfect for the for the rig that I was building. And so I fabricated all my own bracketry for it because I wanted it. To, my aim with the chassis was to try and make it look like it could have been factory. Mm. I didn't want it to look like I'd just hack something up to put it in there. So I don't know. In my eyes, I sort of feel it pretty much achieved that. But yeah, the four link worked brilliant, um, and it, it didn't cost me a lot. It was just you, as long as you don't count your time, of course. But when you're semi-retired, time time's one thing you do have a bit of. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think anyone that's ever built a project, if if you actually added your time up and put a dollar value on it, you, you'd have a heart attack. So you don't do that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I mean, you do this for the fun. That's you don't do it to make money. And I, I, it always amuses me when I hear people say, oh, "I'm going to do this and I'm, you know, going to sell it and make money." I go, "Well." Good luck, but I haven't seen, you know, we do, this is a passion. This is something we do for the fun of it, not, not for a monetary value. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, you were tr- if you're trying to do it as a business, you, you have to keep things really simple. And, you know, the, the wilder you go, the more hours you put in, the more custom stuff, then, yeah, it just gets so out of hand. Yeah, look, and there are people that do it very well. Um, and But you do need big pockets to do that. And I think that's, it, the market split pretty much. There's the high-end builds, where, as I call, checkbook engineering, and they do a magnificent job. And then there's the people that are innovative on the, that come up with answers to whatever's going to work for their budget. So yeah, so the the front end runs an L300, which is was a lot of work to get it down low enough. It runs a Subaru Forester power rack in it, um, and being front-mounted rack, there's not a lot of options but I needed that because of how the motor sits in the truck I didn't want them if I'd lifted the motor up I would have solved all my problems but then I would have had to cut the firewall and would have had to cut the floor and put a tunnel in I didn't want to do that I wanted to sort of keep the spirit of what the old truck was about so that lent itself to a bit more work but anyway that's how it goes Mm. so I haven't cut the firewall at all in this truck Um, all I've done to the cab is I've had to cut new wheel wells into the, the cab sides to take because the wheels go up and the turn, otherwise I'd be attacking the inside of the cab way outside of what it was ever designed to, to do. So that was pretty minor in that. Um, and I, it's just, I suppose, when you lift the bonnet, it looks like maybe they could have had it from the day with this, because it runs a 318 and a 727 auto. So I wasn't after big power, I was after, again, something that was in spirit of what this truck could have been with a V8. Um, so I'll, I accept that if you want to put big power, you've got to go down a different route. But for me, this was perfect. Mm, yeah, nice cruise with the torque flight. And, and that, I mean, they, they would have come out about 10 years later, wouldn't they? Yeah, this, this, this motor gearbox was out of the last of the, I think it was the CMs, the, the smog versions, the last of the Chrysler V8s anyway. No, I think they were CMs, I think, at the time. So, uh, yeah, so it, it runs, we rebuilt the motor and it's got a few little tricks to it, but nothing nothing too serious. It was interesting, I decided to rebuild the transmission because it needed it and I've never done a transmission rebuild in my life. Um, though that was an interesting exercise. Uh, nothing like having a lot of bits around you and red red oil everywhere and hope you can put it all back together. Yeah. So yeah, so I set the, the shifter up on that. I used the, I sold all the original running gear and everything out of this to, it went in various parts in Australia. But I kept the top of the gearbox because I wanted to make the shifter and the handbrake look come up through the floor and look like how it was when it was factory. So it still runs the original shift box on top of it and the handbrake, um, but it's now an auto shift. I converted it into an auto shift. So it looks like it's a manual. Mm. And then it's got this lovely-looking big stick sticking up out of the dash, out of the floor, um, but it's actually auto shift. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. It's got that nice subtle. I mean, you know, if it's parked... If it's parked at a show laying frame, obviously most people know you've done a bit of work to it, but it's those subtle differences 
subtle differences that still fool the eye a little bit and go, oh, well, what has he done? Because it looks it looks kind of stock, but no, that's really good. And then, so what did what did you end up doing for an airbag air management system in it? Okay, so it runs a we it runs a air rides um, slam six bags front and back. Yeah. Uh, and a single tank and two compressors, um, all air ride stuff before air ride went broke. It's a manual system just with valves, gauges and valves with a handpiece. Works fine. I didn't want the complexity or the, or the expense of putting the E-level in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it works really well. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, yeah, you don't nothing cooler than when you drop it on the ground and people's go, well, you're kidding me. How cool is that? And it's interesting at car shows, and of course we haven't had any since I've really had it up and running apart from one, um, you park it next to $100,000 magnificent high-performance cars, whether they be Holden's or Pelton's or whatever, and everyone's flocking around looking at my old Dodge. And of course you get far, far more attention in the Dodge than you do in the Buick even. So, mm. yeah, sort of satisfying to see the results. Yeah, and it's a bare metal finish. So, was that what? What colour was it? Well, when I bought it, it someone at some point had done a bit of a house patina paint. I don't know how, and it looked all right. But then when I built, I shortened the chassis up a little bit because I wanted a little pickup. Because this is only a five hundred. It was only originally a five hundred weight, you know, half ton pickup, lightweight lunchbox carrier. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to build a, it had a wooden bed on the back of it because the original owner had six kids and I thought it was a carry hay but it turned out that was to say all the kids could sit in the back and go into town once a week <sighs> imagine how the police would view it today yeah. that's how that's how they got around it was their one and only car um, so I sold that off and I wanted to build a pickup bed that looked the part of the truck so of course I couldn't match I didn't really the patina on it wasn't that good so I decided that I'd strip it all back to bare metal because I like them so I've done a little bit of trickery on that it's bare metal but the only two they bought the cab was in amazing condition like only two little spots of rust in it um, which are fixed both doors very common with these is the door straps used to break and the door used to go around too much and crease the crease against the mud guard. So when I stripped it back they were they had filler in them. One side I repaired, the other side had filler, so you can't bear metal finish filler in it. So I've done a little bit of YouTube trickery on it's amazing what you can find out by watching YouTube. Yeah. Uh, using a basically thinners with a little bit of paint and smearing it around and it looks the part and then I used all I've used on the outside of this rustoline spray pack advantage there if I've got to do a little repair I can fix it up and then just touch it back up again um, so it just protects the bare metal there's no paint on it at all but it has got a smearing just to cover up a few of the little spots in it so then when I built the pickup bed, I was able to match the pickup up to the cab so it didn't look like two separate parts. So then I decided I need to do a bit of artwork on the side of it. You know how they used to have often oppressed stamp panels in the side of the metal pickup bodies? Yep. Well, with two millers, obviously it's impossible to, with my machine to bead roll any panels in the side. So I decided to do a bit of aluminium. So it's got aluminium panels, which I've used aircraft rivets, and that just adds a bit of creativity to the side of it. Um, oh, I think it looks pretty good, and everyone else seems to agree with me. And I made a mock tailgate on the back with some Dodge badges off a later model Dodge. To make it look like a tailgate, but it actually doesn't have a tailgate because it's the chassis loops come up into the back of it. So it's just got a lift up panel to get to the air ride and the fuel tank and whatever. Yeah, no, it completes the look. It it really does. It it, it looks really nice. What what did you do with your uh with the rear guards? Were they were they 
the outside of them were they were they the profile of like a unibody style dodge or or what were they? Well, the, the mud guards are the original mud guards off this truck. Yep. Um, and when I sold it, I wouldn't. I said I'm not selling the mud guards, and they were cracked and broken. I think so. I repaired them and I put them, but I purposely didn't try and hide the repairs in that. You know, it shows its scars in a few areas, like we're a weld demo, I've left the weld joint. So you can actually see, it's when you come up close, that there's been some repairs and patches in it. But they are the original mud guards that came with the truck. Yeah, cool. That's cool. Yeah, they, they definitely um, they fit the body style. Eh? Yeah, and like I think the later ones had a, a different one. And look, I've, I've been building, I've been working off and on on another Dodge that's, that I've built a tray for and fitted chef guards to the back. And it looks really good, but I sort of think this just looks, it looks perfect on this truck because they are the original mud guards for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you get, you get guys like me and I, I annoy myself when I do it, but you know, I, I'll look at something and go, Oh, they're chef guards or, you know, on a, on a Ford or I've seen Ford guards on a chef or even, even like a, the wrong year model, tub on a on a cab i mean it's each to their own and every builder can do whatever they want but i just because i know i look at it and it just it irks me and i go oh that's not the right guard and and i think you know most people should just tell me to bugger off and mind my own business but but that's how i look at things and i i look at that and, I, and the, it's just right you know it doesn't stand out that it's the wrong guard because it's not you know no that's right it just competes the look of the truck they're an interesting looking truck and they've probably been under underappreciated in the past but they're They've sort of got, you know, they're a, an interesting mix, mix of old and round, you know, like the rounded guards and the, the front. They're quite a cool-looking truck, I think. And the fact that there's not a lot of them around, that makes them just a little bit more unique as well. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't change the body shape a whole lot. I, I mean, I sent you a photo of my old Dodge, um, and I think that was a, from memory, it was a 58. It might have been a little bit earlier. But, I mean, they're, they're pretty similar body shape throughout that whole period. They are. It's interesting when you get into them a bit, there's a few subtle changes in them. And yours had a one-piece screen, which was really the big change in them, where this one runs a split screen. Yeah. Um, and a few other little changes. The early model ones like mine has the crease in the door, goes right to the back of the door. And as you get later, the crease went forward a bit. But there are very minor changes and a few grill changes. The interesting thing was... This, this truck is actually a Canadian-built right-hand drive. So it would have been one of the first to come out to Australia before they started assembling them by Chrysler. Yeah. So this isn't a Chrysler-built truck. This is, an, this is an, a Canadian-built Dodge um, right-hand drive, and there wasn't too much to convert them from right-hand to left-hand. And... What happened, I think, the Chrysler bought container loads of parts and in America they had different years, had different grills. We're in Chrysler, they said, well, we've still got all these grills off the last year's model, we'll just put them on. So that's hence why, a, 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 say, a 51 in America looks different to a 51 in Australia because Chrysler Australia was still using up the bits they had. Yeah. yeah. But... Uh, I've just built a, I don't know if you noticed the visor on it. Yeah, I did, yep. Yeah, well, it had, when I bought the truck, it had a visor in the back, and when I looked at it, it didn't fit, but I cut it down and modified it. And then I decided, and a few people said, oh, where did you get the visor from? And I thought, I should build a few of them. So it took me a year to get around it. But anyway, I built a run of six of them. I had six people want to buy them, so... I built a run of six of them and shipped them all around the road. So I've now got a new head, and of course the new one's made a 1.2. It's got a solid. Um, so that, because this old girl would probably do 90 mile an hour or more. And I don't think the old visor would like that much air pressure under it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just and again it just suits that it makes them look like they've had a top job without actually having a top job. Because they had quite a big screen in them today. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you when you talk to classic truck owners. There's there's quite a bridge between guys who think that a visor makes a truck look better, and then guys who just don't like them at all. And and I think that I I'm in the I do like them um, side of things. But yeah, the the only thing I don't like is when guys have them down so low that 
that looks like you couldn't even see out the window because I'm six foot four and I struggle to see uh, without a visor. So that's my big thing. But no, I saw, I saw that you were you did a post a while ago that you were uh, making a few of them and selling them off, and yeah, they, they look really nice. And, and being bare metal as well, it just it just fits the truck perfect. Yeah, no, no, it does it. It just suits it. Um, so the other thing that I've been talking about, I'm six foot one, so none of these pickups are great for, as you well know, for, for uh, not so much headroom, but for leg space. Yeah. So I hunted around, I found the back seats out of a GU Patrol were the perfect, perfect situation for these trucks. So I've done a couple of them now, but mine, it sits, it allows you to move the seat all the way back to the back of the cab, which gives you about another two inches of legroom, which you need. So that's the only the only thing I've paid anyone to do on this truck is the upholstery. I've just had it all done in aged aged leather look and crocodile skin. Looks pretty cool. Goes with the look. I think goes with the look of the truck. Yeah. Then my next project when I get some time is to build. I built aluminium polished door trims for it and kick panels. Um, is to build a a curved aluminium aircraft riveted hood liner with a crocodile skin strip through the middle of it. But anyway, when I get some time. Yeah, it sounds like it's coming out as a pretty trick truck. And and the bumpers are off a, an old Holden? Yeah, the front bumpers are off a FXFJ Holden. Um, I come across some crusty old ones and I thought, well, it's worth a try. I can always, if I decide I want to go more chrome, I can buy a new set. Um, and they fit perfectly, and this one had the overriders on it, so you'd think they would come out from the factory. I just had to make different brackets for it. The back one, um, I honestly couldn't tell you what it come off. It was hanging in the shop at work, and I said to the boss, I'd love to buy that off you because it had these little chrome overriders, and I really don't know. I think it was probably off a mid-30s, or no, probably a mid-40s Chev, um, and I've just sort of adapted it up to, to work because it does look cool with little overriders and chrome bumper. But the original factory bumpers were pretty heavy, solid, commercial-looking jobs, which didn't sort of do a lot for them. No. And the one thing I was really interested in personally looking at it is the uh, the hood emblem. Is that actually the original hood emblem off that vehicle? Correct, yep. Everything on this. So the interesting thing was, from what I can work out, the early ones had the stainless steel grille panels like this and the Dodge. Um, and then you could get the Fargo, which would have Fargo across it. And then I think later on, they, they probably to save money, they used metal ones and painted them. But this this had the chrome, which was um, well, the stainless polished stainless steel, which looked pretty cool. And they're very rare. If it, if, I know a few people are looking for them, but they're pretty well impossible to get. I, I was over in the States last year at, um, at a swap meet at... Uh, good guys in Scottsdale, Arizona. And because I'm putting a Dodge Ram engine in my Chev, I I saw this old uh, Dodge Ram hood emblem and I kind of thought it'd be a funny thing to sort of put that on my Chev and probably upset a few of the Chevy guys a little bit. But uh, so I ended up buying, <laughs> I bought that at the swap meet and I've got it sitting here and I'm undecided whether I'll use it or not. I've got to change the profile a little for, for it to fit. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something I'm considering. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. They this this was the first of the Dodge Rams, but they weren't. They didn't use the word Ram. But here on the bonnet emblem, we've got the the Ram. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the sort of the first year of the of the Dodge. You know, the precursor, I suppose, to the Dodge Ram name. I, I, that's about the only thing I'd probably swap it for is a brand new Dodge Ram, maybe. That would be nice. So, so if we if we turn back the clock a bit to to the point where you know it's it's still fully original and you're about to start doing all this again, is, is there anything that looking back at it now that you'd do differently, or or you're pretty happy with the course you've taken? Um, no, no, I wouldn't. Because the end result of this truck is that it's so nice to drive. It's like driving. I, I have a, a Holden Colorado work ute, but it's like driving a modern ute in 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 old truck clothes. Yeah. So it, it's steers. It's one-handed steer with power steer. 
it stops on a dime and it's got four-wheel disc brakes. The whole brake system's out of a FG Falcon, I think, and the pedal box and everything. Because I wanted to keep all the engineering of that complete. Um, so it stops on a dime. It steers on a dime. It accelerates all I ever need it to do. Um, it's just one cool truck to drive, and every time I drive it, I want to drive it more. So that's, in my opinion, that's the sort of the, the key to it. If you want to keep driving these things, then you've pretty much nailed it, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is it on Club Rego? Do you have, like, a Club Rego scheme up there, or is it Rego's? It is still on, It is still yes, it is still on Club Rego. I mean, of course, that's been, we'd love to have the Victorian system where you get the the amount of, you know, days per year to use it for whatever you like. And, of course, not having any car shows for the last six months, um, yeah, it's, it doesn't get the use it could get. So it is on club rego, and I, every now and again I alternate between. I'll put it on full rego, but the trouble is I've, I've already got my Buick on full rego and my work truck on full rego. I probably don't need another V8 on full rego. No. What, what's, the, what's the system for you guys up there? For the, the historic rego, how how many times can you drive it? The way it works is in Queensland, you can use it for any club event that they have a run number. So you can, your local club that you're part of, if they have a run to somewhere or, or a car show, they issue a number, you can go on that. There is still, and we can even, for instance, if, if I want to go to the Dodge Nationals that happened to be in Melbourne in 2022, um, I can drive it from here to there because it's it's an it's a club event. There's some restrictions on what you can do with it beyond that. You can you can take your daughter or your son to a prom if it's a direct relation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you can't take anyone else. You, you can't take any money for it, of course. Um, you can take it for a drive to charge the battery and that's the one I use a bit mm. um, and you can take it for a test run with it, but you can't drive to, to uh, Brisbane on a test run, I think that would be a bit hard to justify um, and you can, you can take it somewhere to get some work done on it and there's no, you don't but the bottom line is if you drive sensibly with it um, the police have got lots more things to do than check up on you and of course, if you were seen driving it to work every day, you'd be you're abusing the system. So yeah, it doesn't get the it doesn't get the driving that I'd like, um, but that's how it goes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is it's a couple of hundred dollars a year, so it's sort of cheap way to have a a car sitting in the shed. But I think I think your Victorian system is a better system. Yeah, the fact that we can you know you can just decide to go for a Sunday cruise for no reason as long as. You know, and and we we can run out of days and sort of get another another bunch of days. I I believe I don't actually have a car on Club Rego, but I know there's the 45 or the 90 day uh, option. And you know, most people, even with a classic car that drive on the weekends, they're not going to drive it much more than 90 days. Yeah, look, and and that's the thing. Oh, look, up until when I fixed, uh, up until when I changed this and and done the mods on this, um, I, I honestly wouldn't have driven it more than five days a year. Um, it's a lot more now, and that's just a reflection of it's an enjoyable car to drive. Um, but you'd still never hit 45 days a year, Adam. No, that's good. Hey, Graham, beautiful truck. I really love it. Um, actually, what I was going to ask you about, that you had a photo that I saw, and you had a 48 BSA in the back. Is that yours as well? Is that a new project? Well, it's yes, it's mine. Um, I bought this off a guy that was that his son pulled the bits 20 years ago and put it in a box. Yeah. Never got any first. I bought a box of bits with this BSA in it. And I thought, oh, that's just the perfect match as a, as a <laughs> something to carry around in the back. Because the, the BSA Bantam has a bit of a story. This is how I got my first job as a mechanic was directly related to one of these BSA Bantams. So I'll try and give you a short version of the story. I was 14 or 15. I bought a go-kart with no engine. I went down to the local garage hunting around for an engine. I said, Mr. Kerr, have you got a engine I could buy from a go-kart? 
And he said, well, actually, I have. And he said, I've got to warn you, it's the most unreliable engine that, and we don't know what to do. He said, I've had the mechanics look at it, and no one can fix it. I've had a look at it. He said, it will run, and then it will stop. And you can kick it for half an hour, and then it will run and run for 10 minutes, and then it will stop. So he said, you can have it for $35, um, but I warn you, it's not very reliable. So it was within my budget, of course. Yeah. So I bought this BSA band, and then he was dead right. Put it in the go-kart, it would run for 10 minutes and then stop, and you could kick it and kick it and kick it. And then all of a sudden it would go, and it'd run for 10 minutes to cut out. So I knew nothing about mechanicals, but I love pulling things to bits. So I thought, well, I'm going to pull the thing to bits. And I pulled this part of it to bits, and I'm... When I pulled the magneto off it, I noticed that the keyway was missing. When I looked, the keyway had sheared. So I thought, oh, I wanted, I didn't really know what the keyway done. But anyway, I took it out and I got a bit of metal and I got the axle and I made up a new one. And I put it in this thing. Well, it immediately ran and it never stopped. So we drove it around and then... So I was so excited at the fact that I'd fix it and no one else had fixed it. I went down to Mr. Kerr at the gar- garage and said, look, I'll fix that, that engine. He said, I don't believe you. I said, well, I'll bring it down and show you. So I drove it down the back streets. <laughs> Police don't need to know about that, but anyway. Um, into the back of the garage, drove it around. They had a big yard there. Drove it around the yard there and he looked at it and kicked it and started it and he said well I don't believe it he said everyone looked at it no one could fix it and you fixed it so he said I'll tell you what he said I bought the reason I sold that motor is I bought this BSA bandit for my son who was in the Navy when he comes out of the Navy for his holidays he was going to ride this boat but the motor's been so unreliable well, it's just sat in the corner but he said I'll buy the engine back off you now put it back on the bike he said what about if I give you a 600cc chainsaw, two-man chainsaw engine with a clutch and $50. Well, seemed like a pretty good deal to me, so that's what I had. So the go-kart upgraded from 125cc to 600. You can imagine it was a bit of a lethal <laughs> Yeah. And I, and, I, and I put $50 in my pocket. So anyway, I went back down there and I said, well, actually, Mr. Kerr, what I really want is I want a job as a mechanic. And he said, well, if you can fix that BSA, you probably deserve a job. So that's how I got my first job. So I suppose I have a little bit of a connection to BSA Bandits, but I don't in really intend to restore this. I think it's just, it's, again, it's a bit of pickup uh, to have in the back. I don't know what I'll exactly do with it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it looks really nice in there. And the interesting thing is it's exactly, it's the same year as the truck. Yeah, it's the, the first series of BSA bands. Nice. Yeah, well, I predict it won't be long before you start tinkering with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, in the midst of all, all this, I'm now working two jobs. For someone that's retired, I'm now working two jobs. So I'm working, I work two days a week for this hot rod shop in town here in Toowoomba, MWUSA Imports, and I work two days a week for a company over near Warwick called Endless Chassis Company. So he's seen what I've done with my truck and he's a personal friend of mine and he said, I think you better come over and build a, a, a truck for me. So I'm building a, I think it's a, it'd be a early 80s international. Mm-hmm. It's sitting on a, on a Chevy C20 chassis. We've done, because they build rear clips for Chevys and, and the like, full slam uh, rear clips, so it's got a full clip in it. We've done. I've done a full airbag front end conversion. It is, it's, it's that low and drivable. Um, it is a super cool. It runs a LS3 and a six speed. Um, so it'll be a very cool truck. Um, so we work a couple of days a week over there for on building that. So uh, I'm fairly. I don't have too much time for any more projects. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're not very good at retiring by the sound of things. Oh, with, like any retirement, if you're not, if it doesn't feel like work, you're already retired. Yeah. That's the, the secret to it. That's true. No, that's fantastic. Mate, well, thanks again. Um, been really good to hear the story, and, uh, and we'll post up a bunch of pictures of, of both the vehicles. And, uh, and if our listeners want to sort of have a look at your stuff, um, you're on Facebook, and, and I see you've got an Instagram page 
as well? Yeah, yeah, yep. So they can find me there, track me down. I mean, I, I'm not looking for work, but I'm happy to talk to people if they they want a um, bit of guidance. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Nothing like having built a few that sort of helps you what you can and can't do. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you're you're not afraid to walk around a, a car yard and find something, you know, that out of out of left field that'll work, you know, and that's what's the great thing about building these things. And and it's interesting what I discovered having done some restoration work is look, you're very constricted in restoration work as to what you can and can't do because it is a restoration. Well that's the great thing about the hot rod modification area is that you can go and find an alternative solution to a problem that may well even be far better than what the original thing was to start with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. And, and like you say, yours drives, you know, almost like a modern car and, and we've, we've just an awesome, cool old look about it. So that's that's what we're all striving for, I think. Yeah, and, you know, it's fully, fully legal, fully engineered. Everything, it just drives, as I say, it just drives like a, a modern truck, but it's got old clothes on, that's all. Um, so, yeah, looks that's the way I want it. Yeah, perfect, perfect, mate. All right, well, yeah, once no once again, thanks for having a chat. Sorry for disturbing your lunch, and uh, we'll catch up with you uh, if I'm ever up that way. We'll have to come and try and find you. Right, mate. Sounds good. All right, mate. Cheers, mate. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day Even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.